Welcome to another episode of our mini podcast, I Built a Company That Makes a Difference by B1, where we talk to founders of sustainable businesses to get their quick takes on how and why they started their companies, and very importantly, some lessons learned along the way. Today, we're talking to Cullen Schwartz, the Chief of Good Thoughts, aka founder and CEO of Done Good, an online marketplace for ethical, sustainable, and organic products that are made by brands that do good for people and for our planet. Cullen, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate you having me. You and I have had a few conversations about the really awesome work you're doing at Done Good, and especially around the philosophy about why and how you started the business. I'm looking forward to getting into this discussion for the benefit of our listeners, many of whom are sustainable small business owners and entrepreneurs themselves. What we found is our audience really, they like actionable, how could I do this better? Uh, kind of advice. And also they really appreciate learning about other entrepreneur stories. So I'm really excited to to jump into this. Yeah, cool. Well, I mean, you talked about actionable. I mean, I think the most actionable thing, the, the biggest way we can all act, the number one way we all impact the world is when we decide who we give our money to. We give our money to someone, we help them do more of whatever it is they're doing. And if that's terrible things, they do more terrible things. And if it's amazing things, they do more amazing things, right? And we always cite the stat that Americans gave $327 billion to charity last year. We spent over $14 trillion buying stuff. So that means 2% of our spending. If 2% of the dollars we spend buying stuff could fight climate change, reduce poverty, make the world better, support good causes, then 2% of the dollars we spend buying stuff would do as much good as all the donations to all the nonprofits in the country combined, right? And so it's just this huge opportunity for change. So we... We started a site, like you said, donegood, donegood.com, where we screen all the companies to make sure that every time you're making a purchase, you are helping support really eco-friendly businesses. You are helping support companies that are paying living wages, portions of proceeds often going to various good causes. So everything you are buying is making the world better. So you are exercising your your the most powerful tool you have to create change. And I just think that it's such a overlooked and underworked you know, form of advocacy and this, this huge pile of resources that is consumer spending, uh, consumers have all the power. It's a supply and demand economy. Whatever we demand, the market supplies. And the more we demand products that are made with living wages, the more living wage jobs there are. And the more we demand products that fight climate change, we the market supplies more fight against climate change. So I think this is like the way, <laughs> you know what I mean? The path. And uh, we try to make it easy for people to use that power. Awesome. Yeah. Like vote. We talk about every, every four years or so, there's a whole big narrative around vote with your dollars, but actually in between those four year, and I'm, when I'm talking about four years, yeah. I'm talking about American presidential cycles, election yeah. cycles, there's yeah. things that you can do every day because of course it is a consumer economy and where you spend your dollars matters. I think it matters the most, right? Because it's this huge mountain of resources. It, it defines what our economy looks like and what our economy looks like defines what our world looks like, right? I mean, if you want to change the world, we have to change business behavior. Uh, you want to fight climate change, great. The day that every business in the world is operating as sustainably as the brands on our site, the climate change will be solved. Now, you know, how long is it going to take to get every single business operating as sustainably as these? Maybe a while, but every time any of us make a purchase from a brand that is pointing the way to this new economy, we, we you know, we take a step toward that. A step closer, right. And when every business pays living wages, poverty, you know, we'll pretty much have solved poverty. poverty. Uh, and so every business on our site pays living wages. And so 
you know, it's just even about participating in the new economy. These businesses are building the new economic systems we need to really make change. And I, you know, speaking of voting, I think we all, look, voting is important, right? I think I, I vote, everyone should vote. I don't want to sound like I'm da down talking all the other stuff. People should vote. People should donate to nonprofits. There's amazing nonprofits who are doing tremendous things. You know, I hope that $327 billion we donate every year. I hope it goes up. You know, I don't want to down talk, down, you know, like marching, uh, you know, volunteering, the donating, posting on social media. It's all important. But I realized I used to work in politics. You know, I, I was a communications director for a couple of U.S. senators, worked in D.C. for a while. And I just, you know, all of that other stuff we're doing. But then if we're not paying attention to who we're giving our money to, well, we're giving our money to people who are working directly against us. We're funding the opposition. So cool, yeah, vote, march, donate, post on social media, sp speak out, march, do all the stuff. But how we gotta pay attention to who we're giving our money to because that's that's ultimately, where, like I said, what are we funding? What are we helping exist in the world? Uh, and um, so that's, I got out of politics to do this because I thought, well, DC ain't gonna solve climate change. You know, it's important to vote and no matter what, like, uh, we're not going to get the sweeping reform we need out of any capital really around the world. I mean, it's um, it's not going to be a, it's just not going to be a government driven thing. What does have the power to create that change? Consumer spending, because we need to change business behavior and businesses will chase our money. And that I think is the that's why I, that's why I quit my career to do this. I didn't, you know, I didn't pull this out of a hat. I do it because I believe the shit. I, you know, I believe that this is the path, the the most powerful force for change. The more we can harness and galvanize the power of consumer spending that has huge potential, that does have potential to solve major problems um, because it's again, supply and demand. The market bends to our will. The more of us use our will for good and use our consumer spending for good, the better the world gets. Well, tell it, talk a little bit more of then about your kind of the origin stories for Done Good and a little bit about yourself. You mentioned that you used to work in politics and that um, you left to start Done Good. So tell yeah, us, I don't know. There, take us down There's that. a short answer to that question that starts in DC <laughs> and there's a longer one that starts in college. I'll try to give the short, long answer, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so when I was a, in college, when I was an undergrad, that was like the first wave of like, I'll, I'll date myself, I guess. I, um, I was in school at the turn of the century, uh, 99 to 03. And that was like the first wave of like anti-sweatshop activism. It was like the late 90s. The media started doing a really good job of like, I think really informing Americans for the first time, like, holy shit, the supply chains that, you know, <laughs> that we get our products that we buy through, there's some just awful, uh, awful conditions, poverty wages, human trafficking, slave labor. Um, and I, to pause there, I just I have to put a finer point on this. Slavery still exists. It's still a $150 billion a year industry. There's more slaves on the planet now than at any time in human history. We call it, it's called, they, they call it human trafficking now. That's, you know, these sanitized terms. I tried to use Let's use the real term slavery. It's what it is. You know, it's modern day slavery. And so it's a huge thing. And so there's a website you can go to slaveryfootprint.org. And you can enter the kind of stuff that you have in your in your house. And they uh, they'll tell you how many on average, how many slaves have worked for you to, to produce the things that, that you have. And I've been able like I'm the founder of done good. Right. Like I buy things secondhand. Uh, I buy, try to buy fewer things that I, you know, don't buy stuff that I don't need. Or of course, if I'm buying new, I, I buy, I'm done good, you know? <laughs> and, but like through those things, like buying less, buying secondhand or buying from a place that you know is slave-free, I wasn't able to get my number down to like 10. And that's considered like really good. The average person might be 80, 90, over a hundred. Um, anyway, that's just a quick, quick aside. But so that in the early nineties, this, this sort of stuff was just 
you know, getting yeah, bubble into, into the forefront of people's. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So I was involved in a bunch of, you know, progressive rabble rousing organizations on campus. You know, that time, like later, like we were protesting the Iraq war and uh, against climate change and, you know, uh, all sorts of different causes and things, LGBTQ rights. And um, so, but one of the organizations I ended up getting really into and getting into the national leadership of was United Students Against Sweatshops. And we would get our universities to put a code of conduct in their apparel contracts. So, I mean, these are, for big universities, especially, these are big lucrative contracts. If you make all the university's licensed apparel, the the, the hoodies with the lo university logo in the bookstores, like yeah, that's all, it. That's, you know, that's usually one one contract for a year, a couple of years to, so that's a ton of money. So we get our universities to put a code of conduct in their, in their contracts. And um, so any company that wanted to bid on those contracts and make all that money had to demonstrate that they were producing in at least basic non-sweatshop conditions, the decent salaries, safe conditions, no forced labor and forced overtime, no child labor, stuff like that. And so that was really exposure to the idea, you know, back then I was like 20 of the power of consumerism because this wasn't public policy, wasn't a law or regulation, it wasn't a nonprofit. It was just a big customer saying, this is what this is what I want. You know what I mean? And we could again, we can demand whatever we want. We demand good products. We demand certain prices. We demand but we can demand values. You know what I mean? We can demand progress for the world with our product, with our consumer demand. And that's so that's what these universities were doing. And I thought back then, well, what if you could get, you know, what if you get a million people? individuals doing this what if you got what if you had a site where like you know like half the world was buying shit through you know like wow you would really change you would be a revolution you would change everything and uh so that was that initial idea then i got a job in politics out of college uh and you know once you start kind of getting in a career you start you do doing that and you get the next job and and then uh yeah i got all the way into my early 30s uh and um, i still had this idea in the back of my mind that somehow galvanizing consumer spending was the real was the real thing, you know? Um, and uh, especially working in DC, everything's so gridlocked. You're fighting the other side to an endless tie. And we need people, again, we need people down there fighting this, the other side to an endless tie. It's important. I'm glad the young kids with a lot of energy are doing it. But so yeah, finally I, uh, I quit my job. We um, we uh, applied with the idea for Dungdred to the Harvard Innovation Lab and we got in with the idea. And so then it was kind of like, okay, now I have to do this thing I've been thinking about for, for all this time. We actually have to do it. So that's how. And what year was that about? That was 2015. Well, 20, I guess 2014, we got into the program, but I, there was still, I was still like part-time flying up to Boston once a month uh, from DC and still working. And I, but I went full-time uh, June, 2015. So it's been next, next month, a few weeks. It'll be, uh, be the eight year anniversary already. Mm -hmm. Do yeah. you remember what the first six months of launching done good looked like? Yeah, it was. <laughs> Primordial stew, I, you know, I mean, because when we first launched, we were, um, we weren't what we are today, you know, today, we've just, um, we've just been running our, our online marketplace, our Amazon for social good, uh, which, what Forbes called us, uh, since um, 2020. Uh, that's been the last few years. But prior to that, we've had a couple other iterations and pivots, always with the same theory, theory of change, always trying to help consumers use their spending power to, to make the world better fight poverty and climate change but we did it in different ways so at first we were building a, a like a local brick and mortar app more like a yelp style app okay um and so we were and so we were in the harvard in, harvard innovation lab and it's one of these cool co-working space startup you know what i mean it's got the it's got the latte machine and the cool weird chairs and the bean bags and the ping pong table you know i mean it's out of central casting uh the startup space so remember that i remember the free lattes i remember living on ramen and stuff because i also was 
Um, and I was uh, house sitting because, um, you know, I didn't pay myself for the first year either. Right. And so, yeah, I was house sitting for free rent and eating ramen noodles for free from the iLab and, <laughs> and uh, you know, um, doing all that, which I, I don't, I think that gets kind of glorified. I don't necessarily recommend that. I have a different relationship with the founder's struggle their struggle generally than I used uh-huh. to. Uh, I had a, um, I had a, a mentor at the iLab say, there's no honor in the struggle. Uh-huh. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm from the Midwest. <laughs> like, I, you know, struggle is honor, you know? And, uh, but what I came to understand from him, I think it was a really good lesson for, for somebody like me is that if you have a goal and you need to temporarily struggle, okay, then, and you decide consciously, well, there's no other way to get to this goal other than this temporary struggle. And I would like to struggle to get to the goal. I think there's honor in that, and uh, but there's honor in making the choice. I think there's also plenty of honor in saying that struggle is not worth that goal. I'd like another goal. And if you can get to the goal without the struggle, that's the most honorable. Like we should be going for effortlessness. You know what I mean? We should be trying to do it with ease and only struggling when it is necessary. I think there has been, but it gets conflated, right? It's like, well, then if there's honor and struggle, then you might heap more struggle on yourself just to look, look how honorable I am. Look how busy I am. Look how, look how I'm killing myself for my dream and for my start. I mean, okay, cool. If you have to, but some of this shit, I think is like, it's, um, they, they call it struggle porn, you know? And I think that has gotten way too pervasive. And I was a victim or, you know, I don't victim, but I fell, I fell into that trap, uh, through, uh, well, through my whole life too, like football practice in high school, you run till you puke and then you keep running and there's honor in that. Well, yeah, to a degree, <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, if you have to, but um, anyway, so yeah, those first few months were like that, uh, trying to set up this app and in this co-working space and eating the ramen and, you know, struggling and struggling to get something off the ground, which like, it was going to be a struggle. It was going to be hard. Um, and uh, I don't know. I just, I, in talking about the struggle, I, wanted to have that aside because I don't want to glamorize it and I don't want to uh I don't want to help push the struggle porn onto uh onto other people or other founders try to do it effortlessly try to do it with ease achieve each of these goals as easily as you can and then yeah if you need to struggle that's cool good for you but well there's don't, now don't, don't fall I, into the struggle board I, I hear from a lot of um incubators and VCS about just this founders, um, what do they need to pay themselves? And now yeah. just kind of like in my own shorter journey in entrepreneurship and startups than you, um, I've seen a shift from exactly that, from like you are, you need to plan to make no money for three to five years to pay yourself enough so that this is a non-issue. Right. So that doesn't need to be like 100K, doesn't need to be 150K, but pay yourself enough, figure out what that number is and pay yourself yeah. enough so this is a, this becomes a non-issue and you can dedicate all of your time to yep. this and you'll have to find creative couches to sleep on or ways to feed yourself. So just pay yourself yeah. enough. So this becomes a non-issue and you can focus yep. on the business. You can focus on the business and focus, not just in terms of your time, but also the, your mind share and your, your stress level, you know? And I look, I do think that, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, um, I get it. I, you know, and I want, I, I, I underpaid myself for a long, I said, I've been doing this eight years well for like six of those years I was making you know I paid myself nothing the first year and then was paying myself like 25 grand for a couple of years after that you know and so um even um even now I'm still making less than I made in my last job in DC eight years ago but um finally um finally a couple of years ago you know I talked to some of our investors and stuff I was like hey uh yeah I mean this has to 
I'm not making less as a percentage as opposed to multiples. Cause after like six years in, you know, uh, it's also, you know, for a couple of years, you know, like, okay, yeah. Hey, I mean, still, I think still pay yourself something, uh, if you, if you can. Um, and, but it's like a year tops with no pay, you know what I mean? And pay the first year if you can. And then, you know, a couple of years where you can underpay, but at some point, like, you know, um, I decided with done good, basically like six years in, like, okay, if I can't make, of you know even like at least kind of close to market rate salary or something like that and if it requires me the other thing was right like well startup early stage you got to work long hours and you know same thing you know kill yourself run yourself in the ground at, you know at some point if you can't uh make kind of you know decent uh decent money uh and uh you can't and you and it requires you to kill yourself but not have work-life balance then your startup isn't working you know what i mean and so, like, I don't, like I said, I don't know, maybe, maybe a year or two, you know, if you, if you have to, again, if you can have work-life balance and make good money, the first couple of years sort of do that. Don't do the struggle just for struggle. Do sake. that, do that but better if, way. But it, but if you need to like have some struggle for a year or two, but like that can't be five years, that can't be eight years, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, and it, like at some point you have to, that's what I, you know, I would always have this, this question for sure as well, is, is it working and what do we need to do to make it work? Well, that's a subjective definition. And at some point, like, like I said, if it required, you know, if it required me not to be able to start to achieve work-life balance after six years in and be able to pay myself at least in the ballpark of what I used to make in DC, then like, then it wasn't working and it has mm -hmm. to work. That now, that is now entered the definition of whether it's working or not. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Well, can you take us through the different iterations of done good to take it to where it is today? Because today I think- yeah it's super slick. So what were the oh. less slick <laughs> angles that you went out to get to here? Yeah, thanks. Um, I thank you for the compliment. The kind of words. Uh, well, so like I said, we started with the Yelp style app. Um, and we thought, you know, a yeah, local supporting local, that's a done good value also, right? I mean, I don't know, kind of, I guess I have mixed feelings about that whole thing about local now, to be honest with you, because there's a lot of local businesses that are not doing good. You know? <laughs> I mean, like, just because they're in close proximity to me, it doesn't mean they're ethical or paying people well or good for the planet. And I, frankly, I'd rather shop with a company a town over that is part of this new economy that is trying to help, you know, the business for good movement and this revolution we need to solve cl climate change and poverty. You know, I want to shop with companies who are part of that movement rather than, I don't know, just some random person who doesn't give a shit who happens to live in my town. Down the street, you know, right. Right. Yeah, what, what is it? What, I mean, kind of what's the difference whether they're close to me, right? It's like, you know, me first, my town first, my state first, America first. You know who says America first? I, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, that ain't necessarily my values, you know? It's pretty loaded uh, term so these I, days. Yeah. Well, we had a guy, a local florist who said, I hope you guys fail. I fly my flowers in from China every day. So one, the carbon uh, of that. And plus, he, and he has no idea, you know, that probably these flowers are not picked and where workers are being treated very well. Right. So it's like, yeah, this is the opposite of a done good company, you know, and he happens to be local, but who cares? Right. I mean, it's uh, and even I'll say like even, you know, women owned, person of color owned, like, I mean, in a vacuum. Yes. I like to support women entrepreneurs, person of color owned businesses. And those businesses could be doing other terrible things, right? Like these things in and of themselves aren't, that doesn't mean, doesn't mean the whole business is, is uh, kicking ass and, you know, paying living wages and fighting climate change and shit, right? Like, so that was the thing, that was the problem is in the local, um, we learned a lot about that use case. And, you know, when you're in a 
Yelp style situation. It's like, well, I'm young, I'm on foot, I'm in an urban center. I want some lunch right now. Cool. Let's see if Dunk Good has something. Yeah, we have something super ethical, yeah. paying 15 an hour and the, and it's three miles five away. Five miles away, right. I'm not that's about three miles away. That's like the limit of the Tinder settings in a in a city. You know what I'm saying? It's like that's a long distance relationship. Three miles. I, you know, plus I'm on my lunch break. You know what I mean? It's like it's not, I'm doing stuff fast, right? And so asking people to go three miles, or we're trying to have a business meeting. We're looking for a coffee shop. Well, it's going to be near back when people had offices. It's going to be near my office or your office, not maybe your house, or it's going to be in between. It's not going to be, or it's, oh, me and me and my wife are celebrating our anniversary. We want something fancy. I guess Italian. Like, okay, all of a sudden we had 1,200 businesses on the app, but all of a sudden it gets super specific. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I want this kind of food in this neighborhood. Well, I don't know. We don't have that. You know? Right. And, and so, and even to get the 1200 businesses, that's where we had to put any business that had one of our eight values. So it just, if you were just, you know, you could be just super eco-friendly or right. paying living wages or women owned or locally owned. But again, those things, the women owned or the locally owned, I, you know, we'd go into a dung good business and just styrofoam everywhere and everyone's earning minimum wage. I said, well, shit, this isn't what I right. set out to do or to support, you know? So one, we're not solving the user's use case very well and we're not supporting that great of businesses, you know what I mean? And so- And that was 1,200 I mean, businesses across how many cities? That was just in greater Boston. And oh, that was just in Boston, enough. okay. So that's wow. the thing, it's still not enough businesses and the the to get that many, the threshold had to be super low, you know, yeah. to get these businesses on, right? And that, yeah, that was just greater Boston. Now imagine trying to scale this thing across the country and around the world, you know, and then trying to monetize it also. Yelp has, you know, struggled and their Yelp, you know, they're browbeating small businesses to pay them ads and all this. And they mm -hmm. still can't, they can't just, how do you know if you drove the sale for the, for the business or not? You don't know. And so um, all those reasons we pivoted to online shopping and we even, you know, did a lot of research about that. And it turns out online shopping is actually usually more sustainable than shopping locally anyway, especially for consumer packaged goods. Like oh, interesting. If you're, if you're shopping for clothes, that local boutique still had the clothes. That's still a global supply chain likely that made those clothes. You know what I mean? It's still, the cotton farm's not in your town. The mill, the fabric mill is not in your town. The production facility is not in your town. And so it's still got assembled in the same supply chain and then shipped to the store instead of shipped to your house. But if you drove your car to pick that item up, of all the things in the supply chain from you know raw materials to production to the store to you, the biggest single piece of carbon emissions is you driving your car to the store. Oh wow. Now if you if you had you know the the cotton farm, the mill, the production facility, the store, and you walk to the store, sure that would be more sustainable then. But that almost never happens for food. You know, if you walk to a farmer's market and that was locally grown, yep, then maybe that's probably you know then something that was shipped. But for stuff, you know, the kind of stuff that we sell, clothing, bed sheets, like I said, consumer packaged goods, it's almost always more sustainable to uh, to shop online, definitely than to drive to a store, to a local store, right? And especially because we offset the carbon emissions of every order on the site. So we said, okay, this is actually in real life more sustainable. And we're able to now have a high threshold uh, because we can work with brands across the country and around the world. So now we can have, you know, nobody on our site is not crushing it on workers and, and worker pay and the environment and all these good things, right? There's no sort of like, 
well, they're good on this, but bad on that. It's like, they're just the cream of the crop. They're just amazing. They're the kinds of businesses I set out to support. The kinds of businesses where if every business in the world was like them, all our problems would be solved. I mean, really, I mean, I really, I feel like people think that's like trite or hyperbolic when I say that, but I, I think it's true, right? If every business paid a living wage, if every business was super eco-friendly, and I mean, we have businesses that are just doing incredible zero waste production or carbon negative production. I mean, like, they're the brand, this, this is, they're pointing the way to the new economy, the new economic systems that are like the future of humanity, the hope for humanity, for us all to continue to live here. I really, I think it's true, you know? Oh, that's uh, awesome. Well, yeah. So that's, I mean, we can work with great businesses in a more sustainable way and yep. for the, like the use case for the user, instead of asking you to walk four more miles, we're asking you to move your mouse four inches. And obviously that's a much easier, you know, when the, the, the barrier, uh, the, the, the barrier for action is uh, lower. The, yeah. The, uh, don't have change. to leave your house. Well, don't like, have to leave your screen. Yeah, of course. Yeah, exactly. Just go to a different website. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so. Uh, and then what does your business, what is it, what does Dungood look like today? How many businesses do you have? I know you have a, a Chrome extension. Like, tell me all of the, what does it look well, like? Okay. Today? I guess that's the interim. Then we went from the local app to the Chrome plugin. We don't have the Chrome plugin anymore. We phased. Oh, that, that was an interim. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So that's, I mean, we said, you know, we, so we went to online shopping. We said, well, we want to get in people's existing stream of behavior. Again, reduce right. the behavior change, right? right. But where are people going? Well, they're going to Amazon. They're searching on Google. So the Chrome plugin would work where anytime you executed a search on Amazon or a search on Google or went to a big name, not a, 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 a Google search that elicited a shopping result mm -hmm. uh, would trigger the extension. Or if you went to a big name retailer site, right. then uh, you, if you were searching for products, it would show the alternatives mm -hmm. uh, that from our approved brands on the side of your screen. So you'd punch mm. in something on Amazon, you know, blue jeans, whatever, uh, women's jeans, and then it would show brands on the side of the screen. You'd see everything that Amazon had, but you'd see everything that we had problem is like you still had to get people to get the extension to know about it to install it um and we had uh also then it only worked on chrome you know we could have built out to other browsers and stuff too but still then it's just desktop while the world's going mobile and and browser extensions just never got as ubiquitous as everybody thought they would back in you know 2015 2016 honey is really like the one that made it. You yeah, know? exactly. I was just going to say, people, yeah, they're paying yeah, yeah. people to use the thing, right? It's like, here, you will get money. <laughs> I mean, so, um, so it, uh, plus we had a Google never made it easy. They kept making it more difficult and your, your extensions then by default became hidden and you had to unhide them. And like they, they had a, they flashed an alert that said, we saw 90% drop off in the funnel. You know, you finally, you get people to know about your thing, come to your site, uh, you know, uh, and then they're about to install the extension. And then Google flashes an alert that says this extension can read and change all the data on any website you visit. And you're like, look, the only thing you we're reading, Google, thank you, Google, like you were trying to participate in your ecosphere here. You know what I mean? And like they, uh, yeah, the only data we would read is whether you were on a shopping site. And the only data we would change is to show you the ethical and sustainable alternatives on the side of your screen and but that was sufficient uh, so that language was obviously scary. sufficient to scare anybody to scare 90 percent of the people up so the cost yeah. to acquire was super high and it was you know we ended up i don't know how many we we got like twenty thousand people or something using it but it was just it was too costly to right to, to keep scaling to keep going. and we, once people became the people who did become hardcore extension users were like okay now i'd like to just go to your website and yeah, shop, right? yeah and so so then with the extension, we also developed a um, like an affiliate site where you could, 
it was like a shopping site, like Retail Me Not, where you could find the products, but then once you click the product, you'd go and complete checkout mm -hmm. on the partners. Well, if you want to buy three things from three of our partners, now we're kicking you to three different websites, three different checkout processes, three different shipping fees. Ship people hate Amazon has trained everyone to trade to hate shipping fees. I think uh, people would rather have a uh, $50, rather pay 50 bucks with free shipping than pay $40 with a $5 shipping fee. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, so then that brought us to 2020 when we created, we finally, we had the technology to have an automated marketplace where you could check out on our site, but where with 120 plus brands, which maybe did I answer that part of your question? Yes. Over okay, but we're, but we're trying to, we're doing a crowdfunding campaign now to try to triple that number, which we could talk about a little more too, but yep. Yeah, basically the um, now the with the marketplace, you know, you just you check out on our site. We really are like what Forbes called us the Amazon for social good. And all the with all our um, partner brands, you know, when they it's all automated, so they don't have to do any work. That's really important too, because a lot of them are small and medium sized, and so we don't charge them any money up front. We just earn a percentage of sales we make for them, so they always make money. We're always creating value. We're always making them more successful, because that's the point is for us to help make these brands more successful and the movement more successful. Um, and we can't cost them too much time, right? So it's, they don't have to do anything. Once it's once they put products on their site, those products are on our site. They get marked out of stock on their site, they're out of stock on our site. They change the price, it changes the price on our site. It's all fully automated. And we didn't want to do a marketplace until we could have it that easy, that automated. Payment comes from customers. The portion of the brands goes immediately to their bank account. Like it's all, we had to automate it all so that we could do it as a small team and we weren't costing our, our partners a lot of extra time. So what is the selection and onboarding process? I mean, is it like a couple clicks and you're done? Is it really like this takes 10 minutes or, or fewer? What is the, well, the technical, well, the, technical the technical onboarding process is super quick and easy. Like we made, we pride ourselves on that. We wanted to, we didn't want to do a marketplace until we could make it like that. Yeah. It's like 10 minutes. I mean, it's, you know, um, it, you, you connect to our system once and then basically, you know, you're going to make sales on our site, earn revenue, and not have to do any work for it. I mean, that's the that's the goal. I mean, maybe there's a bug or something nice. here there, but yeah, it is nice. Yes, thank you. I hope so. I mean, that's we. I think you know, get brands coming on board. We almost the only reason we ever have a brand leave uh, is because they went out of business or something, okay. right? Like uh, otherwise, it's your just your through, retention rate is like 100%. yeah, retention rate for businesses is like through the roof. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, because yeah, why wouldn't you, you know, you're not doing any work and you're just making more revenue and some brands do better than others, but even if it's a little revenue, well, it's a little revenue I wouldn't have otherwise had. Right. So we've tried to set it up all that way. And, 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 and that also means, right. That like our business model and our impact, there's no daylight between the two, right. Our social impact is helping divert consumer spending away from supply chains that keep people locked in poverty and destroy the planet. And two amazing businesses, good people running brands who are, you know, working hard to, pay living wages, invest in communities, fight climate change. And that's also how we make money as a business, right? We, we earn a percentage on those sales and that's what funds our work and, and keeps us going. Um, so the technical onboarding process is super quick and easy. The impact screening, we still, I think, pride ourselves on being like uh, very stringent and mm -hmm. yet also here and less, um, like I said, no money up front and less time consuming than getting certified from a, from a lot of the other you know, independent certifiers who do a great job. Uh, and, you know, it just, we're, we're not in the business of like super lengthy questionnaires and point mm -hmm. scores. We spoke mm -hmm. about point scores when we first started, but we realize even these things that are trying to do objective point scores, it's still, that's still subjective. Who decided those were the questions? Who decided what those points were worth? You can't escape when we're, we're trying to define good 
you can't escape it's subjective you know what i mean it's like defining which kids in the class are good you know it's like well sure you can have some criteria but you have a point score that tells you that kid's a 17 and that kid's a 21 like i don't know it's all subjective who made the point score so ours is um more conversations we talk with every we talk with people at every brand we work with and we're asking them questions and some of this stuff is objective like a living wage we can look at the mit living wage calculator at productions in the states or we can look for other nonprofit partners in other regions of the world but so you know are you paying people a living wage that's a number you know mm-hmm. and um then you know uh how can you uh you know save working conditions talk to us about the working conditions how can you mm-hmm. demonstrate that you don't have uh, human trafficking or child labor in your supply chain and for bigger companies they can say things like well we pay an independent you know independent organization to inspect and da, 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 and here's the here's the document here's the report and for a smaller one they can say well i've been to the production facility twice in the last year and there's 12 people working there and i know all their names and their names are da, 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 and i know that none of them are kids and they okay yep like um and so um we asked them how they can how they can demonstrate and what documentation they can provide and you know on environmental sustainability there's just so many ways depending on the industry too so many ways that you can fit that and then it's right so say back to who gets this who gets the point score uh we have you know a company who's you know like a bigger production facility who's like paving the way for clothing manufacturers showing them how to do it more in a more eco-friendly way maybe they're zero waste and they're or they're recycling 90 percent of the water in the facility non-toxic dyes and run on clean energy well, then there's a small company that's just like a few ladies making dog collars out of upcycled cowboy boots in their garage. Who gets the bigger sustainability score? I mean, one is doing all this really cool, innovative stuff that we the world needs, you know, to show big producers how to do it. But the others probably got fewer carbon emissions and they're taking waste out of the waste stream because they're upcycling cowboy boots. Right. So, like, I don't know who gets the better score. So we we're not we don't do scores. We just we, you know, we have the conversations. And then we tell the stories and our criteria is like, would our customer base say, holy shit, this is a great company. And if every company in the world was like these, would climate change be solved? You know what I mean? Right. And so that's the that's basically the criteria. Are these companies more sustainable than the big name counterparts in their industry? Would the world be substantially better if people shopped with companies like these? And then you know, are they are they paying living wages? It's always people and people and planet. Mm-hmm. Um are you paying living wages or, you know, safe conditions, no child traffic labor? Are you incredibly more sustainable than the big name counterparts in your industry? Then we can also people, we give people the ability to filter on other issues like made in the USA or women owned or, um, you know, some things are industry specific, like cruelty free, if it's cosmetics to make sure it's not tested on animals, but you got to be good for people and planet. Those are the things to get on done good. And then the other, uh, as opposed to like the old brick and mortar, you can't get on done good just being women owned or just made in the USA. Um, you know, you've got to be good for people and planet. And that's mm-hmm. you know, good for workers, paying good wages and and being incredibly eco-friendly. I really like that you talk to all of the businesses. I'm going to ask you next about scale and fundraising and because I know yeah. specifically what you're, you know, that, that capital will go to work for and how yeah. that scales. I, you know, it's, is there, first, let me ask just for the folks on, because I, I, my feeling is that you might get some inquiries from some of our businesses, which would be fantastic. I love that. Is there any, yes, um, please, please let us know. You... Partners all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, because I mean, I could think of, I could rattle off quite a few just from our conversations, um, with B1 merchants who are right in this lane. So is there, yeah. from a technology point of view, is there, who do you integrate? Like, is there any technology limitations you have to be with this particular POS or is there, is it just basically, 
if we you're can, an e-commerce store, we've got you. Yeah, well, pretty much. We can do, um, you know, any of the Shopify, Magento, WooCommerce, BigCommerce, any of those. Um, and then even natively built site, then, you know, I don't know, then it depends. We have to talk and see how it all works out. And, you know, with some companies, we've had less elegant solutions where they like, well, just send us a product update, you know, once a month, because it, it, it's, it's, it's tougher to make it automated, depending on what they've got, you know, I, so, but, but we've been able to make it work with just about anybody, even natively built sites. I mean, I can't, it depends. And when it's natively built, you know, I don't know, we gotta, we gotta see, mm -hmm. what's, see what's going mm -hmm. on, you know what I mean? But, but for the, but if any of the others, and I don't tell you, like Shopify sure is becoming, you know, they're taking over the world. I think like 70% of our brands are more now. I mean, it was like, we started, it was 50% and then it was 60. And then I, I it may be three fourths or something on, on Shopify. So Shopify is super easy. Even the others, we can Magento, BigCommerce, WooCommerce, that takes care of 95% plus of e-commerce stores in the world. Um, so yeah, but uh, even, even if you're natively built, call us, we can, we can. Uh, yeah, reach uh, out. Also the, why, also the why, I mean, depending what you're doing, we, we used to be, we used to have natively built stuff and developers and things. And then like, but look, our job is not to reinvent e-commerce. Our job is to market these, you know, businesses and this movement as a whole and help talk to people about why the dollars we spend are the, are the most powerful force we have for change. And um, we don't need to be reinventing the e-commerce wheel. So we're on Shopify too. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. And then yeah. I've shopped on done good quite a few times now. Can you talk about oh, the end user experience? Like, that what you get back and what you see, that's super powerful. Can you talk about that? Well, I guess, what do you mean? I mean, yeah, you get to, you know, you shop, we can, and and I guess we haven't talked about this kinds of selection of products. We, yeah, we're trying to be the Amazon. We have all sorts of home goods and kitchen and bed and bath supplies, as well as clothing as well. When uh, In this space a lot, I think people talk about, um, you know, sustainable fashion. Uh, but the, there are a lot of other industries now that are further along and having sustainable alternatives. It used to kind of be just clothing. And it used to be that that clothing was kind of like granola, crunchy and burlap sacky. All right. <laughs> and it all keeps getting more advanced, right? Like clothing now, there's like cooler clothing and like more stylish uh, than, you know, when it started. And the other industries, mattresses, uh, bed sheets, really like cooking wear, kitchen supplies, uh, beauty products, bed and bath, uh, like coffee. I mean, it's. There is, um, there are alternatives um, for just more and more industries, and they're becoming, they're, they're so high quality now. They're higher quality than. That's the other thing that I, you know, think doesn't get communicated enough uh, is that the stuff is just better. Like Avocado Mattress has won, I forget how many years, the Consumer uh, Reports best mattress, not best sustainably made mattress, just the best one, right? And it, and it's like that with all this other stuff. There's an there's all these there's been a bunch of stories lately. Box just came out with another one a couple of days ago about you know sort of saying, hey, do you feel like all your stuff is like less well made? Yes, it is on purpose. Like appliance makers figured out planned obsolescence decades ago. Now it's everybody. Clothing is per they're purposely making stuff that'll break down and go out of style because they want to keep us on the hamster wheel of consumption. This shit is all a trick, right? Cheap stuff is a trick. It's cheap now, but they get you buying it every year, and so. You know, some of the stuff on our site is, I mean, it is probably almost certainly, a lot of it is very cost competitive. And we do things, you know, we do sales events and discount codes and things to help make sustainable shopping more affordable. We also have a, we have a sales page that automatically when any of our partner brands mark something down, put something on sale, uh, it automatically pulls that in. It pulls those products in. So on our sales page, anything any of our partners have on sale, you can find all in one place. So we try to make 
you know, these products more cost competitive and more affordable and more accessible to more people. That's a big part of our mission to help take conscious consumerism mainstream, you know. And that said, I think a lot of them are starting more cost competitive now. But the other thing is stuff that's handmade by someone paid well, these these companies are making products that are better and last longer. They're made with care. They're not trying, they're ethical people. So they're not trying to rip you off. They're not for overconsumption, right? Like, and so when you buy stuff, like investing a little bit more money, but on something, you know, if you spend 50 bucks on something you keep five years versus 20 bucks and something they got you buying every year, the $50 thing is a better deal, right? Like the cheaper thing is not the best deal uh, because they are making everything so shoddy now, purposely trying to make it break down, purposely trying to keep us on the hamster wheel of consumption. And that's, I guess for me, it's just like, you know, that's it. It all just feels, I feel like I'm a cog in the wheel of their system when I fall for their shit. You know what I mean? Like that's as much as like the ESG and sustainability, it's more like this system sucks. Like there's just these big corporate, players like a few of them cranking out homogeneous stuff in some giant mass production facility with no soul and no character and just shoveling at us and it's shoddily made and they keep us buying more and more they just assume we're gonna buy it because they assume we're mindless consumers and they just throw this junky stuff at us and yes it's made in supply chains that keep people locked in poverty and destroy the planet and it's just a terrible system and i just want out of the system and i want off the hamster wheel and so for me it's like for all the like, yeah, sustainability, ESG, da, da, da. It's like, I went out of the matrix. You know what I'm saying? Like that system is awful. And I want to opt out of that system. I just don't want to be a part. Of, it's just soulless and mindless. And it just, I don't know, to me, feels better. These, the people at Dunk, like the companies who are on our site are good people who, who give a shit. And it's like, there's just like care and meaning and heart. And it feels like a more natural human it's a human experience as opposed to this like cold machinery that just cranks along and makes it. I just don't want to be a cog in that machine. And that's how I feel when I have to buy something on Amazon or at the mall. I go into a shopping mall. I'm like, oh, this just doesn't feel good. Well, <laughs> you know? I like, I mean, it's, that's one of the, the big things that we try to do. And it's one of our, one of our, uh, it's part of our mission and, and you said this as well, to try to make sustainable shopping, not this thing that is like separate, that you have to consciously do something differently. That's right. way outside of your shopping behavior patterns that you normally have or your route or whatever and integrate more ethical, more sustainable shopping options and choices into people's daily lives. However, you know, small that is. And that's, I think that was really a cool thing with the the chrome extension even though it doesn't exist anymore but that like that makes perfect sense that's really cool that is really the i mean like the 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 kind of i think you're exactly right and i love what you guys are doing because it's all that's the thing right it's it's like how do we how do we get in people's existing streams of behavior right like even if it's something like you know I think a lot of people feel overwhelmed because then they realize like well everything i do creates carbon emissions right and it's like well I shouldn't, so I shouldn't buy something ever and I shouldn't travel and I shouldn't go to concert. It's like you, you get in this mindset of like, well, I should sacrifice and everything I feel guilty about sort of everything I do. But at some point it's like, well, then you feel guilty about being alive. But what's the point is not to, the point is to create a world that is a place where people can be happy and thrive, right? It's like to keep this home uh, safe for people to live and to do things that bring them joy and feed their soul. And so 
it's right. It's like, I don't, some people say, well, not buying anything is the most sustainable thing you can do. And I don't agree with that. Right. Like don't overconsume. Don't buy stuff you don't need. Don't be on that mindless hamster wheel. And at the same time, Starfish Project, a jewelry company on our site is helping women escape sex trafficking, giving them living wage jobs, making jewelry, giving them skills training to move on to professional careers, which opens up more jobs for more women and then funds nonprofit wraparound services with every purchase, right? So the most sustainable thing you can do is never to buy anything from Starfish Project. Like, I don't think so. It's about consciously consuming. We're gonna wear clothes. It's okay to wear jewelry. Just make, just wearing a little jewelry make you happy. Don't buy too much, but yeah, buy a little and buy it from Starfish Project so that you know, now this, instead of feeling guilty about this behavior, you can have a balanced life where you buy some things because we're all going to, but in doing so, it's having a net positive effect on the world. And it, because everything is voting with your wallet, if those of us who care about these issues never buy anything, then we're sitting out the elections. We mm -hmm. need mm -hmm. systemic change in our economy. And that's not going to happen unless we support these businesses, right? And so we have to participate in the economy to build a new one. Again, don't buy too much stuff. I try not to buy too many things. Everything I own is, you know, like basically fit in my Jeep. And yeah, since Don't Get Started, I buy some new shirts because I like supporting these companies and these shirts are nice. And then I get to like sort of participate in society. You know what I mean? And I just have ragged, holy clothes all the time. And so the same thing with like going to see a concert. You're like, oh, well, this is a frivolous, uh, you know, affluent activity. Well, but they're doing amazing things now where they're like capturing the heat and capturing the energy from the dance floor to power the thing and they're doing zero waste festivals and now if a portion of each ticket also supported nonprofits, so like what if now going to concerts made the world better what if all the stuff we enjoyed doing so instead of get, asking people to sacrifice you're saying do something you love but let's set up these systems where it's a net positive effect that's the key that's the key to all of it so all of us finding ways to say okay cool in the just creating that turnstile that hydroelectric dam in the river that is people's existing behavior instead of asking them to change behavior saying cool let's set up a let's set up a, a flywheel for good in in that existing behavior that's the key that's the key to everything i like that a lot um the thing that i like it, i mean it's it's small but it's not small is when i buy something on done good i see the metrics about the impact of the things that i bought and for me that's like that is Again, something that's small because it comes on your receipt, but it's it's also huge. And that makes me feel, you know, you, you were talking about how you, you feel like you're in the in a rat race and you're kind of duped as a consumer when you have to buy something from right. a, a, a merchant, a business, a corporation that doesn't support your values. I That's the opposite of how I feel when I see those metrics. And I'm like, yeah. oh, my God. Well, that's really nice of you to say, because that's what I hope, I guess, at the, like I said, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, all these, you know, the ESG and the sustainability and all these kind of metrics get thrown around. Even they start to feel, you know, maybe sort of empty it sometimes, you know, it's like, but it's like, yeah, how do you feel? I Just if I'm, if I'm in a giant department store, you know, yeah, it could be made with slave labor or poverty wages or whatever. Also, but just the thing itself, just the whole experience feels empty and humanless, you know? And so I actually really appreciate you saying that because I guess I hope that that too, it's right. Like this just feels human. This just feels natural. Like I know it's like, it's like actual human beings who are helping each other. You've created me. This company has created a nice, uh, a nice thing with heart. Like when I get my mom something as a gift, you know, off of Dungood, it just feels more real and has more heart and feeling behind it. Uh, then just sort of this empty, like I said, I don't know, it's just cranked out. Hey, I made a billion of these and I sold them to a billion other people and it's not unique at all. And it's just a bunch of homogeneous shit. Like again, now, now the, 
the the ESG metrics, the impact on the world aside, I just feel like I'm getting a, a thing that's void. That's uh, not unique in any way. Not unique at all. And so like, it's also just that, like it just feels better. I'm getting something higher quality. I guess that's the other thing is like, I feel like it's not a sacrifice. You might've paid a little more, but you're, it's better. It's a better deal. You know what I mean? For what you're getting, because it's real and it's higher quality and it's going to be something that someone loves and will last. And that's, I guess the thing, right? It's like, the, the difference between consumption is like sort of, I don't know, a thoughtless decision and a thing. And then I throw the thing away as opposed to like, I made a conscious choice. I love that thing. That is going to bring me joy or give my, the person I'm giving this gift to joy for years to come. Like, yeah, that's cool. And I supported a good company and I supported alternate systems and I helped fight climate change and I helped reduce poverty. I helped support a living wage for the person making this thing. Yeah, that feels good. So that we had a webinar that I'll try to link in the show notes um, last year, I think. And you're echoing a lot of what we had a fashion psychologist on and she was a lot of what you just said about just mindless consumption and how do you shift that and respecting the people thinking about the hands that actually touch the garment that you're wearing and how do you pay more respect to those people? So she's, you know, in fashion, so she talks a lot about clothes, but echoing a lot of, a lot of what you said. And it's a, it's a, it's a conscious decision and it's, it's a conscious thing to think about, you know, you talk about how many, how many slaves built this thing that this item that you have, you know, the hands that touched everything that, that you're, that you just bought and what it, what they had to do to get it to you. And I think it's also like, I try to leave people with like, you know, all of this stuff can make people feel guilty or overwhelmed. And it's like, listen, man, but like I said at the top, right, 2% of your spending can have as much impact as all the donations to all the nonprofits. So it's even, listen, I had to buy something on, I try to avoid Amazon, obviously. I'm the founder of Done Good. I had to buy something on Amazon last year. I left my computer charger at my sister's. Well, it was her fault. I, it's one of these two-part <laughs> computer chargers. She pulled it in half and I grabbed half thinking <laughs> I had my computer charger. Then I have it. And I called three local places, even Best Buy being one of the local places. I don't know that that's any better than sticking Amazon. But I called like a couple like local places, went, called Best Buy. None of them have this thing. And so I was like, shit. So I used my buddies. I don't have a Prime membership of my buddy though. So I used his login. And uh, they were supposed to get it here. Like I, this was like two in the afternoon. They're supposed to get it to me at 8 a.m. the next day. It was at my house 8 p.m. that night. And like, which is amazing. And yeah, what, what, person had to is like injure themselves packing stuff so fast what driver is peeing in bottles to get it to me that fast I didn't need it that fast but I but I kind of needed it fast because it's my computer charger so I can do work fighting Amazon I had to buy it on Amazon you know and so it's like you know I get it or you know if you have kids sometimes you will get them like some classic artisan made wood toys and you're gonna have to buy them whatever shitty plastic thing from China is cool that year I understand you know what I mean it's like there are a million infinite things we could all be doing for to help other people or fight climate change. You know, anytime any of us drives in a car, anytime any of us flies in a plane, but that's where it's like fly on the plane, buy carbon offsets, support the local economy when you get there, do a sustainable travel. Maybe you incorporate to volunteer. That travel can be net plus if you do it mindfully, right? And so it's like, don't don't feel guilty. Feel good about the progress. Ten, move 10% of your money to awesome bridge to, to you know i mean obviously i appreciate it if it's on Duncan, but other however you know that those companies are part of the movement you know to 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 fight poverty and climate change and the business for good movement um move 10 percent of your money and make it 20 percent. celebrate that progress because i mean if like i mean if everyone did two percent the world changes so 
I don't know, you know, if you're doing 50%, you know, keep, I mean, do as much as you can, but um, nobody's going to get to a hundred. I mean, I'm on the road sometimes. I, I eat Burger King. Like I, you know what I mean? Like I, I buy, I buy some shitty stuff. I eat some shitty foods. I, I uh, drive in my car, you know, I drive a car, you know what I mean? And it's not good. And, but so, but I try to walk more, try to ride the bike more. And I drive the car some and don't feel guilty. Do you know, just everybody, everybody make progress, feel good about the progress instead of feeling what guilty. you can. Yeah. Well, I've got yeah. two more things. One, I would love for you to talk about and plug your crowdfunding. And then oh, two yes. is next. I've got some rapid fire questions for you. Uh, so please okay. tell us about crowdfunding. Yeah. I can't believe I didn't bring this up sooner, <laughs> but it's uh we have a crowdfunding campaign going on uh, Start Engine, and so it's equity crowdfunding, which maybe a lot of folks know. It's you know kind of like a Kickstarter, but instead of Kickstarter, is basically you're just like giving a company money. Uh, equity crowdfunding, you're actually buying, um, you're actually making an investment in companies that aren't big enough to be on a stock exchange. You know, um, crowdfunding makes it so that anyone um, can invest, even small amounts, in startups. Uh, when you know before that used to be. A, a cumbersome process we had to raise just from accredited investors or, you know, again, if you weren't big enough to IPO and be on a stock exchange. So it's a, it's crowdfunding where you, equity crowdfunding means you can actually buy stock in startups. Um, and so done good has a crowdfunding campaign going now. Um, and the minimum investment, we set it as low as the crowdfunding site would let us. It's a hundred dollars. So that's the, you know, but in terms of startup investments, you know, in the past that used to be the minimums used to be like 25,000, 50,000, you know, stuff like this. And uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a hundred bucks. And those hundred dollar investments actually really help us because the crowdfunding platform has goals um, where they will give you more promotion on their site and to their email list. But those are per person goals, not based on like dollar amounts. Uh, not so, amount per not, investor it's goals. just it's just each person who invests the number of investors right so when we got to 100 investors we got around a promotion and the next goal is 300 investors but each investor it doesn't matter if they if they invest 50,000 or they invest 100 dollars counts the same as a person so not only is the 100 bucks i mean it it helps us do more good it helps us we're going to uh we plan to hire folks to triple the number of partner brands on our site over the next year so we're going to get over 300 brands have more selection our data shows that that's the number one barrier for um, for additional purchases on our site, the number one thing we could do to increase conversion rate, average order value, more purchases per person, number of merchants, site visitor, right. is uh, is to increase uh, product selection. When you're trying to be the Amazon of something, having almost ten thousand products and one hundred twenty some brands is a lot. And if you're looking for something specific like a pencil skirt, ah, eh, maybe we got three of them, and one's out of your budget or out of right price range. One's out of stock, and the other one, uh, oh, it's very, it's a great price. I don't like the design. You know, right. okay, cool, and you know, we can't, we didn't help you. So tripling the, the number of brands, tripling the product selection in key strategic categories in particular, and then investing more in marketing. So it helps us do that, both to grow our business, but also that means we're growing our impact. We're helping more people make more purchases that do good for people on the planet. Um, so, I mean, I think it's like as good of a, uh, you know, if you were going to donate, you know, a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks to a nonprofit, I think we do as much good as a lot of nonprofits, but also you know, a donation, you, you have a 0% chance of getting a return. And of course, with a with an investment, you have well, a better percent chance than that of getting a return, right? And that, you know, it is a large and growing market. I mean, when we can, um, NYU just put out another study that uh, continues to show sustainable products are growing twice as fast as, um, you know, non-sustainable products. Uh, sustainable products are driving one third of the growth in all consumer product goods. 
Cantor did a study that says eco-actives, people who are trying to make eco-friendly purchasing decisions is a $327 billion global industry. So the Amazon alternative for this huge market, especially as, as a, a conscious consumerism and sustainable shopping becomes more mainstream, the Amazon alternative will also be a huge and lucrative business. So, you know, I think it also can be a great investment. Uh, and of course, I'm, I mean, the reason I do the work is because of the, because of the impact we can have uh, at that level. If you have millions of people moving billions of dollars to fuel this whole movement of eco-friendly uh, worker empowering businesses like that, yeah, that changes everything. And in the meantime, every purchase, you know, every purchase does good for the world. Uh, every purchase does good for people on the planet. So you're funding good now, you know what I mean? Like I, like I said, I feel like it's as good as the most nonprofit donations you can make, but also um, you're funding a, a startup in a huge and growing market that could be, you know, the Amazon alternative when this, as, as this kind of shopping continues to continues to explode. So um, yeah, it's on Start Engine. Uh, we'll link and, in, uh, the, in the show notes. We'll link, we'll link to the, in, yeah. yeah. And also on, on dungood.com, you know, you can find, you know, link to the, to the Start Engine page, to the, to our crowdfunding page pretty easily. So, and again, every, you know, um, if you're, you know, if you're an angel investor type, we can also talk, you know, directly if you're talking about doing $50,000, uh, $50, um, and, but if it's, you know, like what you can afford is a hundred bucks, again, a hundred bucks doesn't, it helps us do good, but it also counts to the goals where, you know, when we get these rounds of promotion, we raise like $20,000 from the crowdfunding community of investors. So your hundred bucks helps gets us to the goal where we can raise 20 grand. So it, it's, it has an outsized impact. And so if it's, you know, if that's the, if that's the kind of investment you can make, it, it does really make a difference. It makes a huge difference. Um, one, just a hundred bucks, all these hundred dollar investors added up, you know, it's still real money, but, but hitting the goals so we can raise money from the we get more promotion from the crowdfunding site like that's that's huge so it's really helpful all right so minimum investment uh, amount welcome as many as yeah, possible oh, as many as possible like i said yeah the hundred dollar investments and, and i've had i've been telling people if you know if you and your significant other if you were going to invest 200 bucks or more do, do 100 bucks you know, do, do, yeah, do twice yeah because it's two people yeah. right? you know what i mean that's that's what they're gonna if that's how they're gonna measure our momentum to see if we get the extra promotion well yeah, two people, it just is their system. Two people is twice as helpful as one. So I had, you know, somebody do, you know, like 500 bucks. I was like, you know, I like, I don't want to, I don't want to complain. I appreciate it. But it's like, oh, I mean, you guys, I know friends of mine, you know, I'd be like, oh yeah, should it, you and your wife should have done 250. <laughs> Split it out. <laughs> yeah, totally. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, let's get into the rapid fire. Um, biggest success to date. Being here. Uh, I think, I mean, you know, quitting the career, uh, having the, um, well, let's not use uh, gender normative terms for that. Uh, let's, having the um, gumption, let's say, yeah, <laughs> all right, um, to quit a career uh, and then staying alive. You know, they say uh, VC is uh, the number one thing they look at is founder resilience. Uh, if that's true, I think we have that in, in spades. In uh, space. We have kept, um, kept pivoting, kept, um, kept scrapping, kept... Uh, kept it together and kept uh, figuring out how to do better, stay alive, grow more, figuring out, like really being students of the industry of e-commerce, recognizing that you, if, this is a mentor at the iLab told me one time that's really stuck with me. If a lot of people are trying to be the sustainable blank, you know, oh, the Amazon for sustainable good, the Yelp with a soul, the, you know, da, 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 whatever it is. Uh, and it's like, whatever that blank is, you have to be really good at being the blank. You know, we have to be good at e-commerce. We have to be good at digital marketing. We have to be good at, you know, uh, e-commerce UX, you know what I mean? Like I have to, I have to learn all that. 
that stuff and to really be a student of that industry and um and um yeah just um paying attention to our customers and what they our users and what they want and you know figuring out how to keep honing the plan so that we can continue to continue to stay alive man and keep it growing and keep growing and it's uh, not nothing it's not yeah. it's yeah. A, it's not negligible after eight years you're still in the game and i think found yeah. a model that you're, you know you're thriving like that's not nothing you're right yeah. starting a business as all of our listeners know it's not nothing and you're eight years in and so yeah that makes yeah. Uh, and so then like a lot of small victories that lead up to that but like i think that's the thing i mean the um just being here with the you know and the the continually learning like you have to stay in that like student uh mode i think um with learning you know from your customers your users and um from the industry that you're in and um yeah i don't know okay that's it's rapid fire i should i should be quick so i'll stop <laughs> i'll stop talking right, let's do that let's do the opposite then your biggest failure to date um yeah uh gosh again i would say um it's nothing in particular, like, right. Like, so like the Yelp model didn't work, that's not a failure. We learned and pivoted. I actually think that's a badge of honor, right? That's why we're still, that, that leads to the biggest success. We're still here because we didn't cling to that model. Right. So I don't, I don't think it would be anything like that. I think it's, um, you know, one of the biggest challenges is having a brand that out of all these other brands. And so, right. It's like, and sort of, you know, like, um right because it's just so it's so disparate i mean we've got you know some we've got like an outdoor gear company with this kind of brand serving this kind of customer and we have like a high-end sort of luxury dress then they're serving this kind of customer and like so it's um that is a difficult thing is to you know have a brand and a core customer persona and stuff of our own when you know the things these brands have in common are their ethics and what the, but like the the customer they serve is so it's it's destroyed and so that is the difficult thing and i think even just like kind of um i don't know our own brand and our own voice like obviously i you know look this is me talking but then i have that breathe through when when all these i don't know i guess it's just that i would say the ongoing struggle and the mm -hmm. thing that sort of frustrates me the most is like sort of harnessing our own brand voice and even like that, you know, the, the connection between like, hey, look, this is this is the new kind of economy. This is the like the grassroots revolution that we need to change the world. This is how we get out of the system. This is how we can our force for change. And then you come to our center, there's a $300 like sundress. And it's like, well, are, are you a revolution for change? Or are you selling high end sundresses? And it's like, well, look, both. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like and but like squaring all this stuff into like one cohesive brand, one cohesive message, one cohesive feel that's um you know that's uh I, you know i just continue to try to do it to do it better mm -hmm. okay yeah. that makes sense um most important lesson you've learned to date geez was it that one no okay actually i got one for this um and i'll say it's not necessarily well though it does relate to the business and and everything um tone like mm your tone that we were talking about this a little at the top uh, before we started, I think, the, but the tone you, you talk to yourself, the tone with which you like experience life, like is your life. That is how you experience life. And I, you know, I, 
we can still have ambition. We can still work hard. We can still have goals, but with which tone am I, you know, um, well, what's my tone as I'm working toward those things? And is it like, oh, you suck or, oh, you have to work harder. Like, oh, this has to feel like drudgery. Or is it like, I want to do this and I choose to do that. So I'll give you, I, I actually, um, I had um, the last couple of years, I started seeing a therapist for the first time. And I like to talk about it. I think I like these younger generations in particular, like the stigma is going away, but like, okay. If we I love therapy. I think everybody yes. should have a therapist. Me too. I wish everyone could. My mom, you know, these older generations, like, but do I need therapy? I don't know. Do you need exercise? Exercise is healthy and exercise is good. And just because I suggest that exercise is healthy doesn't mean I think you're out of shape. You know what I'm saying? Like we could exercise is good for your body. Therapy is good for mental health. So between that, and I also ended up, uh, talking with a, a coach a little bit, entrepreneur coach. And I was, you know, those anti oh, coach, like a coach is just an unlicensed therapist. The, the coaches are full of shit, you know? But this, uh, I actually talked to this guy and it was a good experience. And I did like a two day mountain retreat, retreat with him where we did this exercise where it was like the, I mean, I guess the, the long story short is the difference between self judgment and curiosity. We did this exercise where then I, I asked myself a question in a very self judgmental way. Then I asked myself the same question. The only difference between self-judgment and curiosity is the tone of voice with which you ask the question. It is really just changing your tone. And then since then, I started to see tone just everywhere. Like I can do all the same things. I can, you know, like instead of you suck, it's first of all, I'm 80% good at this. Let's acknowledge that. And oh, is there 20% I'd like to do better at? Great. I'll, let's so you found something you'd like to do better at cool do that thing man like that's exciting that's fun instead of oh you suck like it's the same shit and i think there's some you know i'd have fear like well if i don't hold myself to account if i don't try super hard then i you know i'll just cop out and i'll just be lazy look i don't know man you can have ambition and you can practice self-care and not be lazy at the same time and you know what that feels like get out of your head and just feel the tone with which it is you are both being ambitious and not murdering yourself and you know where that lies if you shut up and shut your head off and feel and feel that and so i guess um yeah throughout all of the eight years with done good i mean i know that's you know i don't know if that's an entrepreneur lesson but that's a life a life no lesson. i think absolutely that's, that's a most huge profound for, but i think it, it translates into your company and how you deal with the work and how you deal with your team and you know, it really, um, it really just, it matters. Uh, like I said, I don't, the only difference between self-judgment and curiosity is the tone with which you ask the question. And now like, I just started seeing that tone is everything and tone is everywhere. And I can always think about my, the tone with which I'm doing the work. Is it drudgery or is it like, no, I choose to do this work. You can stop at any time. No. Okay. I'd like to, I want this. I believe in this. I think this is good. And at 8 PM, I'm going to stop. I'm going to eat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so uh, everything is tone. That's the most important thing. And that, that has, that must have contributed a lot to your resilience as well, because of course, this is your self-talk. The tone in which you talk to yourself is something everybody needs to look at for entrepreneurs specifically when this is the drudgery and the sometimes heartbreak and just the pain of being an entrepreneur and just staying in the game. This is... This, hugely important and so you talked a, a little bit about 
resilience and just that your team has got that in spades. Um, so yeah, self-talk must be a, a well, getting a handle years, on that. The first few years it was the, it was the resilience of the, you know, running football drills and run until you puke and then keep it on running. Cause that's just how I am. It was the other kind of, it was the, I just powered through, I just powered through, which like keeps you going and it's helped can help. I mean, it helped, you know what I mean? But it was that kind of resilience and the kind of resilience that slowly killed me and slowly like, was like a grind. I, I grind and I never stopped grinding and like, look, I, you know, okay. Like I, that kind of determination, <laughs> it, it powers you through and it keeps you going. I, am i guess quote unquote mentally tough in that way and boy it kind of um i like didn't realize like just how unhealthy that was and like that grind on your soul and you know your mental health uh isn't isn't good and you could like and, and so now it's the same thing you know what i mean i still get to keep going and power through and work hard but i don't feel like i'm working hard it is because it's with that different tone and it's, I, it contributes to the resilience just as well, but in a way that feels peaceful and soft and comforting and like, isn't, is keeping me healthy instead of unhealthy. Um, so that's, that's been the shift instead of the, I am Iron Man, I will never die. I will power through. I will break the walls. And it doesn't matter how much it's hurting me. You know what I mean? Like, okay. I mean, cool, man. I mean, like if you have to for a minute. But like, that's how you're going to live. That's not, that's not good. And it's not, and, it, and it, it, this is the thing. It is actually less effective because you are strained and you're not as creative and you're not as cool and you're not as inspiring to your team. And it's not as cool a place to work. And it's, you know what I mean? And I think um, it is actually more effective if you can do it with that, that more positive tone and then take the breaks to put yourself in that higher state of consciousness where you are creative more often and, and giving your team the space to be more creative instead of just the drudgery of the day to day. We got to get this and we got to hit the goals. And like, yeah, you do. Uh, you got to be creative. You got to have space to like have fun and think of new clever shit. And you can't do that when you're stressed and grinding and checking off the to-do list all the time. It's really true. I agree. All right. What, if you could get 85% of the world to adopt a single behavior, what would that be? Well, conscious consumerism, I suppose. Uh, I mean, that would be, you know, if every if eighty five percent of people were just like using forty percent of their purchases in a, you know, with with these kind of companies, like the ones that are out there, good. I mean, seriously, that is the world's changed. The world is very different because even that much, then it shows the big corporations like that. There's enough consumer demand about this that they will change their behavior too, and then the world is. I mean, climate change is fine. Poverty, we've solved it. Like, you know what I mean? That's it. Um, and then eventually you get, that was the, um, in college, I also wrote a paper about the new utopian ideal of the 21st century. And it was like the 20th capitalism versus communism will be the 20th century's problem. At some point we will just use capitalism until and once every, once every business is equitable and paying living wages, or maybe even just to work your own co-op, right? Like what's the difference between capitalism and communism? It doesn't matter, you know? And, uh, when every business is sustainable, we don't need, we don't need to argue about environmental regulations. Just businesses are like that because consumers won't stand it any other way. You know, nobody would ever shop at another company like that. So all the companies are like that, right? So I guess that uh, that is one. Um, I guess I feel like along the lines of what we were just talking about, I feel like I should have a more enlightened uh, answer as well. But, I, you know, obviously conscious consumerism, I do think is the key to uh, to to the to saving the world and the hope for humanity right? and changing the economic system. So I guess that would be, a, you know, 
Uh, okay. Yeah, I guess that that would be my answer. All right, and that, just maybe that, maybe that, yeah. that, that in therapy. Uh, you know, that in. <laughs> yeah. I like that one too. I like yeah. that one too. I'm a big therapy advocate. Um, so then, can you plug again your website? Where can we find you? Um, online, com. social media. Yeah, yeah dungood.com. And then at Dungood Team are, is our social media handle on, I think, all of them, all the all the, all the platforms, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, well, I mean, we're on all the social medias, and uh, I guess probably not all, but, you know, all the big ones. And uh, Dungood.com is our site, and you can get to our crowdfunding uh, page from there to make an investment. Um, and, um, yeah, like I said, I don't know if you are, a, you know, a, a more traditional angel investor and you're talking about 25,000, 50,000 kind of, uh, you can also just, you know, email us at team at dungood.co and they'll route you to me and we can, we can talk one-on-one. -on -one. But again, if you're a hundred dollar investor, 500, a thousand, any, any kind of small investments like that, even a hundred bucks, um, counts toward the crowdfunding sites goals where they promote us more. Right. So a hundred bucks, um, really makes a huge impact and just like i said helps us every purchase on our site helps someone lift themselves out of poverty and um and uh fight climate change so you know even if it were a donation i think it'd be a good way to to donate 100 bucks but it's not it's an investment and you can earn a return so um you know even if it's out of the sort of the donation budget uh i mean still i, I don't want to take the money from npr or the other great organizations who do it but you know for 100 bucks i would think of it like that it's a it'll help do more good now and, you know, you might get the money back later. You might earn more later as we as we continue to grow. Uh, so it's it's cool to be able to do an investment through equity crowdfunding where that this didn't exist a few years ago. We didn't the regulations didn't allow for regular people to make investments in, in small amounts like this. So I think it's a cool a cool thing. We're always you know, we're a grassroots uh, movement. And so being able to raise money through a grassroots crowdfunding campaign uh, feels uh, feels better than just having to approach VCs and uh, wealthy people. Yeah, that feels good. Cullen, thank you so much for chatting with us. This has been a super rich conversation full of nice, actionable nuggets. And, and it's great to hear your story as well. So thank you so much for being such an animated guest and sharing so much with us. Thank you. No, I look, I appreciate it. Anytime I get to stop and talk about like the basic purpose and why I do it, like it helps, you know what I mean? Now I'm going to have a better day because I have taken this time to look what we were just talking about, right? Like not just in the drudgery, checking off the to-do list, da -da -da, oh, I got all this stuff to do. It's like, you know, it's re it's very recentering to just be able to talk about the why and the purpose behind it all. And so uh, I really, I really appreciate it. Awesome. And any um, B1 merchants or anybody, any merchant that you feel like might be a good fit. If you want to check out and get in touch with Cullen, I guess through the same channels, just head over to the, the done good, um, .com done .com. Yep. And yeah, you can, you can get in touch or we have a, there's a form on our uh, contact, uh, the contact us site, um, for, for businesses who might want to join. Awesome. All right, yep. everyone. We'll see you on B1.